Hi, welcome everybody. Uh, this is the very first Fantasy Alarm Hockey Pad podcast. Uh, my name is Andrew Dewhurst. I am joined here by Chris Moray. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Chris? I am doing well, Andrew. Thank you. How are you, man? I'm not doing too bad. So for our first show here, uh, the general format here is we're going to try to keep this thing to 30 minutes. Uh keep it into your commute to work should you be that or uh squeeze it down so you can listen to it at the start of your day before you actually start work um right now this week we're just going to cover some rankings uh we've got our rankings out we've got our cheat sheet out uh at fantasy alarm we've got the playbook pro uh check that stuff out if you you can read uh chris and myself's work uh basically seven days a week once hockey starts Sounds like that'll be January 13th if all goes well. Um, as we get into the season, we're going to talk a little bit more about DFS. We'll probably sh- uh, and shift a little bit more of that into probably be a weekly preview, uh, especially when it looks like we're going to have a, a hockey schedule that almost looks more like a baseball schedule with uh, three three game sets. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, Chris, to kick things off, uh, I did the rankings for our cheat sheet. Uh, those rankings, you can either get the cheat sheet, you can get it on uh, fantasyalarm.com. Um, let's take a look at the forwards. Uh, what what stood out here? Where did I where did I get this thing all wrong? <laughs> I always tell people, right, like rankings are never wrong, right? They're just a presumption. They're, they're just a guess on what you do, right? So like you said, you did the rankings. I did the cheat sheet. So obviously we have some different views on things, which is fine, right? We're allowed to have that. But um, I did go through um, your rankings, and I did pick out some parts that I think were interesting. I think they were interesting. I'm not going to say they're wrong because, again, I mean – We've got you could look back on this, and you could correct. be 100% right, by the way, right? And I could just be the one falling flat on my face here, which is, I mean, that's how I play DFS. But anyways, um, here's the one that I got that, that kind of lifted my left eyebrow up, kind of like The Rock did. So in your rankings, you have Philip Deneau, right? We're going to talk about the Montreal Canadiens, obviously, yes. Um, you have him ranked as the 21st centerman off the board in the categories league. And... My question to you is A, why, right? Let's, we'll start there. Um, and two, why? Um, I think the reason the reasoning behind this, and uh, I look at all of this stuff on a really, like, mathematical basis. So I, I'm trying to – so, like, my process when, when building rankings is, like, I'm understanding how much of each category that we're ranking against – that that a player takes up uh so in that particular case if i look at uh everyone's favorite defensive centerman uh philip Deneau, uh, uh he per- well well the points don't jump off the page right 13 goals 34 assists uh we do have to factor in that uh, this is also based on yahoo standard scoring so we are using plus minus so he does gain a little bit of value there uh, he does also, <laughs> indeed. Uh, however, he the, those are real things. Uh, he does give you some power play time, although you know Nick Suzuki is probably going to start taking some of that away from him. But he gains value in hits. 
pits because oh, he clocks wait, in. So at you put a spreadsheet together? Absolutely. You've done better. You've done better than I did. I think that's fair, <laughs> honestly. To that point, here's the thing. I so being surrounded by right the media in English and in French, obviously, Philip Deneau, in my mind is kind of like he's a poor man's version of Patrice Bergeron, um, Sean Couturier. I'll throw him in there with Anze Kopitar. He, I mean, he does, like you said, he does a lot of those kind of. He's he's Claude Julien's favorite like player. Like if you had to picture a teacher's pet, Philip Deneau is the teacher's pet to Claude Julien and Mark Bergevin, the entire team, right? So you did touch upon it there quickly. There's there's that fact that he plays on Montreal's top power play unit. Um, I mean, their power play is you know not great, but he occupies that position for the time being. And I mean, you touch on it there with. You know, Nick Suzuki probably taking a little bit or hopefully taking some of that time. I just, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. That's a, I think where you put him on the board at 21st, right, is a bold, is, is a bold spot because you have him ranked here. You have him ranked ahead of Matt Barzell and Jonathan Tavares. Yeah. And I mean, the reasoning here, though, be coming back to is that. John Tavares provides you a lot of assists. And I think Barzil kind of falls into that same space, but they're not offering you much of anything else. And in a categories-type league, that's really not that helpful, right? Like, okay, yeah, you'll get some assists. You're going to get uh, probably about 20 goals from each of them. You get the power play time, but you're getting you're getting nothing in the hits the hits category. You're getting nothing in the not they don't neither of them shoot uh, all that much. Certainly no more than Dino does. Um, so I mean, I think if you were making this list based on upside, absolutely you would say Barzil, Tavares. They should certainly be much higher on this list. Well, maybe not a lot higher, but uh, probably somewhere in like the 16-ish range. Uh, I, I think you. Well, I'll say 19. I think you could make the case that you would take take them in that space, right? Before Ryan O'Reilly, before Braden Shen. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I that, guess that's so. not that much further up, right? That's no, 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 rankings. no. I'm still probably going to look at Barkov uh, in a, the same space as I look at them. Kopitar, as you mentioned, Sorelli. All those players are actually really similar to each other. Uh, and then you move into uh, the sexier players. Right, you get into Shifley, you get into Bergeron, uh, Crosby, Aho, Malkin, Point, uh, you know, Patterson, Eichel, Zabinajad, McDavid, Trisaddle, Matthews, McKinnon. So um, again, I, I think there's a case for it. And you know, one of the best parts about this exercise is that uh, when you're building rankings, when you can discuss it with somebody, sometimes you can find the holes in it. You you move things around. So, um, you know, as things progress and we get closer to the season, these rankings are going to change. You're going to see them change on, on the website. Uh, so you'll see those at fantasyalarm.com. You can check the rankings. You'll you'll see things update as we get closer to to first get whatever that first game is, whenever that might be. Hopefully, the 13th of January. Knock on yeah. wood. <laughs> Pray to <laughs> the fantasy hockey gods. Yeah, whatever you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! All right, give me one. Which one did you? Uh, I mean, the ones that stand out to me, like the Boston, the the top line Boston rankings are so tough to rank because mm. like 
we know like I believe Marchand is out till February. I think Pasternak is out till March. So they make such a tough rank. Um, I faded them both a good amount, I think, uh, as much as one could. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I have, have, if we're using the, the categories as an example, um, Bergeron's at 25, Pasternak's at 34, Marchand's at 29. Um, or I see that I have not actually updated the numbers. Marchand's actually at 26. So 25, 26, 29. So you're looking at second round grades, basically third round grades for all three. Uh, that's not how people are drafting them. Uh, I think that's debatable. I mean, uh, I did a mock uh, earlier on Sunday night with the, the folks at Fantasy uh, Five Hole Fantasy Hockey, and both guys went in the first, both Marchand and uh, and Pasternak basically went in the top 15 picks. Wow. Uh, which in some cases I get. Uh, I mean, you're playing, you know, you're playing fantasy hockey to win a playoff. Right. So any discount you can get on players because you're going to lose them for the first four to six weeks uh, could right, be valuable. Right. Uh, however, like you're paying full. Well, you're probably paying full freight on Marchand and you're paying nearly full freight on like Pasternak would be a top six pick. Probably. I wouldn't argue that. No, uh, yeah, I, right. I, would, I would probably push him up in personally. I would probably be drafting him in the top four. Um, I mean, he was, as f- based on my numbers, he was the most f- valuable fantasy hockey player in categories leagues last year. But you don't know what you're getting from right away, and playoffs don't matter when you don't make them. So yeah, uh, that that's why I am putting that fade there. Um, and it's not massive; it's a couple rounds each, and I think that makes sense given the time lost. But um, those were probably the ones I struggled with the most. You've got guys like An- Anthony Mantha. It's a bit of a, a bit of a struggle to rank because he, when he played last year, he was great, but the team around him is terrible. Um, and that might I'll be leave, I'll leave that one. I won't say anything so that people can check it out. I have him as either part of the sleeper or bust. So I did the <laughs> 10 sleepers and 10 busts. You can read it, find out where I put him. But I did touch on him, and I, I think you have a fair argument to go either way with that one that's where i'll leave that yeah so i mean when it uh the issue i have with mantha is like what happens if larkin gets hurt right so even if mantha stays healthy and larkin gets hurt is mantha going to be productive like you are you gonna really be looking at mantha with uh um you know vlad nemestikov 1c and being excited about that pairing probably not so there's room there to be pessimistic there's room to be optimistic. Um, so, I mean, those are the ones that really stood out to me, at least. That sounds that sounds fair. I got two more here that I thought maybe you didn't give enough love to, right? So you gave Philip Deneau the, you know, the coddle too much love. But the player <laughs> that I feel like maybe you didn't give a lot, and maybe it's just me, um, is Kaylor Yamamoto. You have him 94th overall in the categories um, in, in the all-forwards. And I guess the part that kind of throws me off, because here's the thing with him, right? Like, you know what you're getting in with Edmonton's, you know, top power center, right? So you're getting Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and you can probably 
inverse them however you want and you know take them either you know two three or three two or whatnot but out their their winger situation is kind of where i get more involved here right so they're a heavy they're a heavy top six now i would feel and i think they have some pieces that can probably make them a better team right so ryan nugent hopkins has become a winger now i think the addition of dominic cahoon kind of you know just complements their top six right tyler ennis is there now kyle turris is there and you know daily faceoff has them set up as a third uh, as a third line with james neal I think the interesting part here is where does Jesse Puyari fit into this? Um, the assumption is he's going to play in North America this year. He's going to play in the NHL after um, just not wanting to be in Edmonton. And, <laughs> Taking his ball and going home, if you will. Yeah, I mean, he basically ran home and was like, hey, I'm not coming. And then team's like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, it's okay. But, I mean... James Neal is a veteran goal scorer that can score goals and he's going to score them on the power play. I think the Zach Cassian top line experiment can finally end and we could just leave him on the fourth line where he belongs. So basically you have Yamamoto and Puyarvi slotted on the one, two, you know, lines and you can inverse them in a way that you want. If Yamamoto starts playing with McDavid or, you know, if Drysidle moves up there and Yamamoto plays on it, any combination where Yamamoto can play with those two centermen basically can obviously help his production. And I think that's where there's some, there's an opportunity for him to, to do something because he did have, right? Like I know it's a small sample, right? But he had 26 points in 27 games last season. Like he's, yep. is he going to average a point per game in the NHL at 20, like 22 i mean that's that's a stretch fine i think he's good though right and i think if he has the opportunity to play like mcdavid will make you good it doesn't if matter you can like, skate with him if you can you don't even have to you just give him the puck <laughs> and you say hey take this in our end let me get to the blue line and you'll probably cross it before me anyways it doesn't matter but I mean, he's an interesting, like I said, he's an interesting spot. He's a player that I feel like has that potential to be a point-per-game player. And if you're a point-per-game in my mind, you're easy inside the top 50. But I understand the hesitation of a you know, a 22-year-old kid playing in the NHL. And I mean, as, as much as the upside is there, I mean, he could go the opposite way in a blink of an eye, right? He could just fall apart because it's Edmonton. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the the things to be concerned about the Amalotto one, we got a 27 game sample. So right. it's, you know, we don't want to jump too far off the map on on 27 games. Uh, Edmonton's lines outside of, uh, you know, Nugent Hopkins playing with Dreisaitl were extremely fluid last year. So it's easy to say, yes, McDavid will look make you look good. He certainly didn't make stars out of anybody that he played with last year. Um, well, I mean, can you make a star out of Zach Cassie? <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, time has proven us that the answer to that question is no. Uh, it is yet to happen. He's made his way around. Um, but I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, right, like, uh, I don't think that you're necessarily wrong. I think there's upside there. Uh, I do worry about five foot eight, 153 pound players in the NHL. Um, I don't, don't know how well that body's going to hold up over, over, you know, 
full seasons. So I think there is the opportunity here where he, he you know, he's, he's potentially could miss some time. He plays, uh, he played a heavy game. Like he was, he was throwing the body out there. He had 45 hits in 27 games. Uh, he blocked shots at nearly half a half of one per game. Um, so the, I, I have some question marks there. Uh, he's probably not seeing top power play time, which diminishes his value uh, a bit, at least. Because yeah. uh, the drop off from the top power play to the second power play is essentially, you know, the it's drop enormous. off from like eating at Chili's to eating at like Ruth Chris. Especially um, on a power play that's so good too, right? Yeah, like a power a play that man. almost operates at 30%. Like, oh, if he could get on there, but kind of give James Neal that, that spot yeah. to earn his money. So. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's reasons to be pessimistic, right? Uh, I mean, I, as I looked at it and said, like, you know what? A top 100 fantasy player is not bad for a guy that's 23. Um, I mean, I think certainly the person who's ranked right in front of him probably presents to me a stronger case of like, why are you so far down and Brady Kachuk? Um, right. I was like, why are you so low here? Um, and mostly the reason for Brady Kachuk is that he, he plays in Ottawa. So yeah. he's essentially playing with like burning dumpsters floating down the ice with him, uh, which is, you know, good for if you want to take a lot of shots and he's taken a lot of shots, but I do think over time, uh, and this year, possibly being the start of that time where it's like, all right, Brady, you need to tone the shots down. You've, you know, Dadunov's here. He's not, he's not a, you know, a big bag of garbage. Uh, we'll find out what the top center looks like there, uh, whether that be Stutzla or whether that be, I don't know, Logan Brown or Colin White or me or you, uh, <laughs> any of which could probably it's happen. Certainly not Alex Galchenyuk. That <laughs> one, it is yeah, not he hasn't him. been a he hasn't been a top center since he played in Sarnia. So, um, yeah. So I mean, shed a tear. We'll get that's in a fair, that's a fair assumption for 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 Brady, right? I think, like you said, Ottawa is just kind of this. Like, you're not sure what you're going to get out of it. I think they have one really good line if Stutzel plays on it, right on that top line with Kachuk and Dodonov. I think that's the line that probably drives a lot of, you know, their offensive chances. And I think what a lot of times what happens with terrible teams, I'm not someone who's afraid of players who play on bad teams. Um, Just because if you're so bad, kind of like game script, right? I mean, you're going to be trailing a lot you're going to have to cut your bench midway through the second because you're down three, nothing early. So these guys are going to get the opportunity to just play a lot, shoot a lot, score a lot. Uh, Brady's obviously got an edge to his game, right? So he's going to collect those, you know, those late 10 minute misconducts, right? If your league still counts power play, uh, sorry, penalty minutes as a stat. So I think I, I would agree with you there. I think I would not be as afraid to take him. I don't know how far up I'd push on him, but I understand the fear of it being the Ottawa Senators and being what they are, but they're still not the Detroit Red Wings. And I mean, that's, I guess, the, the positive of it, right? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think the upside of, of Brady Kachuk is easily this year as a top 50 player. Uh, maybe not easily, but somewhere in, in that top 50, right? I think he could rank himself out to being close to his brother. Ooh. 
Um, Hot take. You heard it here first. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, so, I, I mean, there's that part of it, right? So, um, you know, we're, we're there, as you noted, the rankings, they're, they're snapshots of a period of time. Uh, they're going to continue to be updated. They're going to get things moved around. Once we know what's happening a little bit more, uh, you'll probably see some of the stuff start to shift because once we have, you know, divisions that are actually in stone, uh, although I think the only consistency we've really seen here is that uh, all the Canadian teams are going to be in the same division. Uh, and I think the West hasn't moved around too much. It, you know, you're looking at Vegas, uh, Colorado, and, and a bunch of other teams that are just hanging out waiting to lose to the other two teams so (laughs) (laughs) poor arizona (laughs) yeah arizona anaheim and la just just wondering when when can we play guys they'll just quarantine at home like just give them the win early (laughs) oh man Uh, Uh, that's a fair one here's one that i think here's here's the absolute wild card dart of it all and i kind of just i kind of looked at it and i was like wait a minute that doesn't sound fair and then i looked at it twice and i was like no wait a minute that that sounds fair um probably the biggest hit or miss target on this board in your fantasy rankings uh, on the point side let's go to the point side this time uh you have jeff skinner ranked as the 46th left winger off the board and I thought, wow, like Jeff Skinner's making $9 million and we're taking him one pick ahead of James Neal. Like, oh, my God, he's fallen off the board. Um, and then I realized he had 23 points in 59 games. And I was like, that is Scott Gomez bad, almost on a level of having to pay money for points. Um, I think the only part that kind of attracts me to Jeff Skinner is – for whatever reason, I mean, he's 28, right? So he's not like 35 or he's, you know, tailing towards the end of his career. Um, he's He's been buried on the third line in Carolina forever, and he was able to somewhat succeed in um, his first year in Buffalo as well. I, I think a lot of people forget just because they forget that Buffalo even exists as a team is, I mean, he scored 40 goals. He had 40 goals and 63 points. And I mean, then like last season happened where he had only 14 and you kind of say, well, I mean, the Sabres are kind of just, you never know what you're going to get with the Sabres, man. They are a box of assorted chocolates and some of them are some, most of them in there are coconut chocolate, which is the worst kind of chocolate ever. So the appeal to have a player with a 40 goal potential is is always nice because there are not a lot of 40 goal scorers in the NHL. And the fact that he's able, he's done it once means that he can. The fact that he was able to do it in Buffalo says that he could probably do it again. And when you bring in pieces like Eric Stahl and Taylor Hall, I mean, that only makes your team a whole lot better, right? And I think for Taylor Hall, especially in that case, just coming in on a one-year deal waiting for all this CBA escrow to kind of balance itself out. I mean, they have a really decent top six, which is weird looking at it, but regardless of where he plays, right? Top line, second line, he's playing in the top six. Um, Buffalo's defense, I think is okay, but I think they're still going to get ransacked a lot and their goaltending situation really isn't that great. So they're going to give up goals and they're going to be trailing. Um, all that to say, I can see Jeff Skinner minimally, 
minimum league, finishing in the top 125 overall. Uh, I will. Yeah, that's how I feel too. <laughs> I've seen Jeff Skinner over his career has been all over the board, right? Rookie season, 31 goals. Follows that up with 20 goals. Follows yeah. that up with 13 goals. Follows that up with 33 goals. Follows that up with 18 goals. Like, he's literally just been topsy-turvy all over the place. I tell you, man. Box of, of assort- box of assorted chocolates. And yeah. a lot of times or not, he is not the good chocolate you want. And, like, I remember seeing him when he was playing in Kitchener uh, and being like, wow, like he's like he's put up 90 points in 64 games. And by by no means am I saying like he should score like that anybody should ever scoreboard scout uh, the CHL. <laughs> because right. They're like you look at those those scoring leaders year in, year out, and you've got like a handful of people who are like playing at two points per game or better. Uh, you go back and look at those lists five years later, and you're like, "Wow, I've never heard of any of those people in the NHL," and there's a reason for that. Uh, and if my understanding is correctly, the OHL is not even as doesn't even have as much scoring as the Q does. So, uh, but anyways, I think he's just. Sometimes I think of him as like Phil Kessel ultralight. Oh. Uh, Minus the hot dogs. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen his figure lately. Um, but I, I think that's the type of player he is, where he's just he's when he scores, he scores in bunches. Uh, but sometimes those it really dries up. Is it? A, it's a good situation in Buffalo right now. I don't think there's any chance he's going to see time with Eichel again uh, without a Taylor Hall injury. Because I imagine if you're Taylor Hall, you when you signed that contract, you said yes, but I'm only playing with Jack Eichel, right? And you know, the the owners whose name the Pagula family was just nodding their head saying, yes, Taylor, whatever you need. Um, so that's kind of how I expect that to shake out for him. So I think he, you know, I suppose there is some one PP1 potential there for him if, you know, if he has a, has a good year. Um, I think those are kind of like, that's your top end of an expectation, which to me says like, well, if he's playing 16 minutes a night, so he's getting second line minutes. What is the upside here, right? Is it can he score 30 goals with that much time on ice? Does he need closer to 20? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's boomer bust there. Uh, certainly a spot where I would be okay with someone saying, you know what, I want to take him a lot higher because I think the ceiling is much higher than that, right? Like you're talking about a, a, a guy that's ranked around Adrian Kempe. Uh, James Neal and Nick Felino. Yeah. Right. Like Andrew, like I like Andrew Mangiapane. Don't get me wrong, but like he doesn't have the upside Jeff Skinner has. Of course not. But, and I think that's where people are going to get, or at least that's where I'm. That's the trap I'm going to fall in. Like I can hear somebody yelling in the distance, "It's a trap!" And I'm like, "Yeah, but like it's a fun. You know, it's one of those traps. You're like, yeah, but like what Admiral, if what if it's not? Yeah, Admiral Ackbar's hanging out just at Chris's house going, it's a trap. And you're just like, yeah, but I got to get him here. What if it's not? Um, so, I mean, I mean, that's how I look at it, right? Like if all goes well, I mean, you're looking probably at, at a player that would slot in closer to like a, a Jacob Vrana, 
I would say, closer to the top 20. Uh, you could maybe even push him inside the top 20. Mm. Um, but, like, you know, you look around, like, the, the, the 20th-ranked left wingers. You're looking at Kevin Fiala, David Perron, Vander Kane, Jacob Frana. Yeah, some bad Andrew boys Lee, there. Chris Kreider at 24. Pierre and Le is Dupont. he technically better than all those players, like, you know, up front? Minus not counting the upside, like, ugh. Yeah, like, is the opportunity even going to be there, right? Um, and, I mean, you know, we still have players to be determined, right? Like, where's Mike Hoffman going to sign? I guess, is Mike Hoffman going to sign in North America? I can't imagine he doesn't. But I think, you know, there's probably at some point where they're going to be like, you know, I, I can just go play in Russia if you don't want to pay me. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's... That, I mean, left wing is pretty deep, in my opinion. Right? I would like, say so. If I got, I mean, if I drafted the 19th, 20th, and 21st guys, and I got Fiala, Perron, and Kane, I'm probably okay. Like, my left wing, I'm still going to feel pretty good about that space. That is true. It is very deep. There are a lot of good players there. Uh, I mean, certainly much nicer than what right wing looks like when you're into, like, Tom Wilson and Rick, Ricard. I'm, gl- I'm glad you touched on Tom Wilson because I'm going to segue here to the ESPN rankings. So I like the cross when, when I do rankings in general, or if I do any type of thing, I like to cross with at least two other sources. So ESPN is usually pretty good at getting their stuff out early and the good folks over at NHL.com obviously do a great job of what they do. So ESPN <laughs> came out with their top 300 and going through it the first time, you kind of laugh. And then the second time you go through it, you just cry. Then you can't believe that there are people who are going to do their draft on ESPN, which is fine, right? But they're going to use these rankings as a point of reference, right? And look, maybe the person who did this, you know, didn't realize that, you know, Sebastian Hajo, they have him ranked as the second left winger, the you know, best left winger in hockey. He's clearly a centerman. He's played there most of his time last season. JT Miller apparently is, you know, C10, but I mean, he took almost every face, you know, he didn't take a face off almost last season. And just the list at that point just goes on and on and on, but minus the position, you know, problems, because obviously players can bounce around. So many players have dual position eligibility, um, if you're like Nick Suzuki, you have triple position eligibility because you can play all three. But Tom Wilson is kind of that player that every year just kind of shows up and you don't understand why. And so he's ranked 129th overall on ESPN's top 300. That gives him right wing 17. So right wing 18 right behind him is Philip Forsberg. Okay. 19 goes to Brendan Gallagher, okay, followed by Jordan Eberle. You can kind of forget him, I guess, if you want. Riley Smith at 21, David Perron at 22. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at that and I'm going, wow. Like, and I, I dug a little farther because I was like, man, maybe Tom Wilson's just good and I'm just not, you know, <laughs> alive, right? Yeah. So he's on my list, right? I'll give one out here. So on my bus list, Tom Wilson is on it. Because this is a player that continues, like he gets drafted relatively early for what he is. Okay, for w- th- this is what Tom Wilson is. He is a cheap 
stat stuffer in that he doesn't really stuff any stats apart from the penalty minutes and the hits, right? Because that's that's what he's become over this point, right? Like he set his his career high in points is 44. Okay, so if you're playing in a points league or a point or, or a head-to-head points or whatnot, like he's not even collecting points, right? He he's not doing that. He can't do that because he's averaging 140 penalty minutes per season over the last five seasons. That's including this season where it was the first time in his career was below 100, but you know COVID wiped out a couple of teams. And oh yeah, by the way, he was suspended. So that kind of helped them out. So this is a 26-year-old player who plays on the top line with arguably the best goal scorer in the NHL right now. Maybe one day the best goal-scoring winger to ever play the sport. And his career high is 44 points. He doesn't do a lot of anything. He's one you know, check to the head away from a 20-game suspension. And I'm supposed to take him ahead of... Philip Forsberg, who's had 60 points in his career, Brendan Gallagher, who scored over 30, and David Perron, who is ageless. Am I missing something? Or Well, I think the only thing that's missing here, right, is I, I think your expectation for him is accurate. I think the expectation of Tom Wilson's going to have a breakout is just unfounded at this point in time, right? Like, he is in his seventh year in the league, Right. Uh, He's 26. He is into his prime at this point. Uh, And I like he had a career year last year with 44 points. Uh, If I'm talking about a career year with 45, 44 points, I probably don't want to draft that player. And if I did, I probably dropped him. Uh, The problem you're going to have with Tom Wilson is that like part the The biggest part of playing any fantasy sport is understanding your draft capital, when to spend it, and when to dump it. If you have spent a top eight-round pick on Tom Wilson, right, which I think is – let me do some quick math here. But uh, if he's getting drafted or if he's the 120th ranked player, that's the 10th round. Are you – how often are you looking to drop your 10th round player? You're probably a little bit tied to that player. Right. Chances are, if you drafted Tom Wilson, you probably like Tom Wilson. I <laughs> um, hope so. But his role on this uh, on that line is simply get in the dirty areas, get in the corners, uh, agitate others, so that teams focus on you and less focus on uh, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, and or Kuznetsov or Andovechkin. Right? That's his role in this team. That's his role on that line. That is likely to be his role until uh, Ovechkin retires. When Tom Wilson promptly slides down to the third or fourth line of any other team where he would probably sit otherwise. Right. I don't have a Tom Wilson highlight role in in real in front of me, but I would guess some of those 21 goals were like gimmies. Like just standing there, the puck hit your, went on your stick, and there was no problem. And right? he doesn't even see any top power play time. He's bas- you basically just described like Zach Cassian, right? Right. And you can get Zach Cassian for free much <laughs> later on with you know great great line mates on the top. Like Zach Cassian had 34 points. Tom Wilson had 10 yeah. extra points. And Whoa. I'm supposed to take Tom Wilson inside the top 150. 
Right. And I can get Zach Cassian for free probably after the draft when I just like stash that one. If I took, let's say, uh, I took Pasternak early, I could just put him on my IR spot and then pick up Cassian for free and boom, two for one. Yeah. I mean, you talked about Brendan Gallagher, right? Like, well, Brendan Gallagher shoots a lot. Right. right. They play similar styles, but yeah, Gallagher shoots a lot. He does hit. He does all the other things, and he actually scores goals. So, you know, similar-ish players, yes, but, you know, different. Like, I don't I don't see the world where I'm going to say, yes, I absolutely want to take Tom Wilson over Brendan Gallagher. Uh, I mean, and in fairness to, to the rankers here, right, uh, Victoria Matias and Sean Allen, I believe, are who did the rankings for ESPN. Uh, I've been in leagues with Victoria before. She's a nice lady. Uh, really busy as she also is doing does the toronto like weather and news um to, so finding the time to do this as well uh, is is on its own but there are some definitely some questionable decisions here right like i, I was looking at this and you start from the top and the like the first thing that jumps out is at me is like hold on you're taking ovechkin and stamkos before you're taking austin matthews I don't understand, right? Like, I do love that they give you context to the rank. Like, they're right. telling you what the points are that they're making these ranks upon. But then my first thought was, like, okay, but I'm not certain you use them. Because, like, yes, uh, I would say that Matthews and Ovechkin have similar goal potential, right? Both probably going to score 40-plus. Uh, you'd give the massive edge in hits to Ovechkin, but... Uh, Matthews actually blocks a good amount of shots. And when I did the quick math on it, I was like, actually, the difference in blocks, because uh, they're weighted heavier, outweighs the difference in hits. Like, it's like 30 points to like 20 points. And I was like, well, why is Ovechkin ranked higher? Uh, the only thing I could come up with was, well, I, I guess left wing is harder to find. It's a right. huge, it's a huge scarce position because I'll defend Ovechkin here. Like he's the best left winger if your league values goals more than assists, right? And yeah. I mean, even if you, even if you discredit the fact that they rank Stamkos as a centerman here, right, which you can just throw out the window there, he's a winger. Like there's so many center options, right? And I think your argument at that point is is fine as well, but. If outside of the left wing category, so I mean, they have Artemi Panarin as the sixth best left winger off the board. That's a whole other topic, <laughs> but like outside of, so I would still left wing. Let's say my top five here. I'd right Ovechkin would be one. I would have Panarin be two on the list, and then Huberto can be three. Gensel can be four, and I would believe, you know, I would leave Marshawn at five, assuming that he comes back if you know his injuries doesn't set him too far back because then the left wing just kind of drops off you don't have very much outside of that right like Kyle Connor is good but I mean he's not he's not in that same conversation I think Taylor Hall might be close but I'm not taking him ahead of any of those players the the thing about we could see Ovechkin score 40 goals this season even in a shortened season sure I, I suppose that, that that's plausible in 56 games. I mean, 40 goals is going to be a lot in that space. Uh, I mean, I think Kyle Connor though, is slightly overlooked here. Uh, I think your former favorite Montreal Canadian, uh, Max Pacioretty, is 
getting a little overlooked in the space as well. Uh, I mean, Pacioretty shoots a ton. He basically him and Stone scored uh, more or less on demand when they were healthy. They were scoring. Uh, and Connor is in a great situation in Winnipeg, right? Like, like worst case, like Connor is scored in his three professional seasons, no less than 31 goals. That's fair. That's, that's not, that's not bad for a guy who's 24 and it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Kyle Connor. Huh. Uh, but he scored 38 goals last year. He was over a point a game, 73 points in 71 games. Uh, produced on the power play, uh, has seemingly a fairly stable shooting percentage at, you know, somewhere in the 15 to 16 range. Uh, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a bender over three years. Legit. And, I mean, I look at my own rankings, and I've got Panarin, Ovechkin, Connor, Patrick, Huberdo. I love Jonathan Huberdo. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've got I've got the jersey. Uh, but you know, you, you get into some space there and yeah, it does drop off. Certainly. Uh, I mean, Svechnikov being uh, a bit of an outlier there. I think he's, you know, you're, uh, a little bit of that diamond in the rough. Like he's the player most likely to just break out. Uh, although I'm a little bit worried about the knee injury, uh, Carolina hasn't said much about it. it. Sounded like everything was good, but that knee injury looked bad in the playoffs when he got slew-footed yeah. by by Chara. Um, so, but that said, yeah, like left wing is drops off fast, right? Like if you're gonna make these a tier, right? You'd probably have Panarin, Ovechkin in, as a top tier. You'd have a tier of Connor, Pacioretty, Huberdo. Uh, typically, in a typical year, if Marchand wasn't hurt, I think he would also be in that top tier. Or just below it, um, and then Hall is, is such a such an unknown, right? Like it is really hard to explain last year versus the year before. Like you were league MVP, you went back into the exact same situation, didn't produce, got traded, didn't produce in Arizona. Fine, no one produces in Arizona. That's their style of play. Um, but like he had those years in Edmonton too, where it's like, yep just didn't didn't get it done so like should like the opportunities there for hall you, you couldn't ask for a better situation given uh where he's at should be playing every game with jack eichel um so there's the case we made there but yeah you get down into like by the time you hit about 15 to 20 things start start to look a little different definitely it's different and i will say this about taylor hall though right because a lot of people like to dump on him like is his 93 points kind of like an outlier and you say okay well he's not going to produce that twice like he still did it and he i mean he's 29 right he still did it on a team like he's played on with the exception of edmonton but edmonton in those years were kind of still yeah pretty they were bad. still trying to yeah they, they were still trying to figure themselves out right like they were not the team that they are now led by the players that are leading them um the devils play a defense first kind of hockey. They don't really have much like that year that he won MVP. Like he, he carried that team. He just put them on their back. It was like, Hey, I'm just going to do everything. And we're going to, you know, sneak in here to the playoffs and only play five games. But you know, we got there and that's all we need. Um, And then, like you said, he went over to Arizona and I mean, the Coyotes got blown out of the water there and by Colorado, which 
I mean, I knew they would struggle, but I just didn't think they'd get absolutely manhandled like that. Um, so looking at like the Buffalo Sabres now, this is probably his first team. I mean, they're not great, which I think is why people were kind of shocked, right? Because he said he wanted to go to a good team, and then he chooses Buffalo. <laughs> and then you're well, like, okay. I mean, he went obviously for – I mean, the money was, I mean, fair for him, right? He got his $8 million, yeah. which is what he's entitled to. And I think the opportunity for him to kind of prove it in a one-year deal and say, hey, I'm going to go play with arguably one of the best centermen in the league with a couple of players who are pretty good as well. Let me pad my 90 points here and then head out to free agency and see which GM is going to give me 8 mil for eight years and, you know, sign my final deal. It's going to, you know, because he's, he's going to want to collect his Jeff Skinner money. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming he could put up better numbers than Jeff Skinner has ever been able to produce. So, I mean, it's a good position for Taylor Hall. And I think that's where the upside is. I have him, I have him a little bit higher because I think that upside is there with Buffalo. And just because this team is so, I, I wouldn't say dysfunctional, but I mean, they're, they're not going to be a defense first kind of team. They're going to be a poor man's version of, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are just going to run out there and try to outscore their opponent because their goaltending is not going to do it for them. Their defense is not going to stop everything. So they're going to win a lot of games, maybe 5-4. You know, they're they're going to push the pace. They're going to do what they need to do to fill the net with pucks. And I want players on my fantasy team that are out there trying to score goals on, you know, mediocre teams at best. Fair enough. And certainly I think Buffalo is going to be a lot better than people think they are. I mean, adding Eric Stahl, adding Cody Eakin, uh, with Taylor Hall aside, if they just did those two things, that team's a lot better, right? That that was a team last year that was like essentially operating mess. one center only, right? A collection of wingers, but just one center. Uh, I mean, right now they've got Sam Reinhart, like uh, maybe as the third line center, which seems unlikely, uh, but. I guess possible should Dylan Cousins really push into the top six, which also seems unlikely. Uh, that's how daily faceoff has it listed today. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I certainly like, I can again, see the upside on Taylor Hall. Uh, I can see if somebody said like, Hey, look, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to draft him in the top two rounds, right? Even in a 12 team league. Okay. Yeah. I, I can get that. You, if if you're willing to buy that Kool-Aid, certainly I don't mind you drinking it. Um, but it does come with some risk. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, I mean, we, we talk about a lot of players. At some point, we will possibly even get more into a little bit of more of draft strategy. Uh, but you don't want to miss your second round player. You miss on you. Took, if you completely take that whiff on Taylor Hall yeah. in the second round, you're in trouble. Uh, when you could have taken, you know, Jonathan Huberto, who is more or less a lock, probably at nearly a point per game. You can take, you know, any number of other players. You might get, you know, if you want to shoot upside, like you can probably look at Malkin. You can uh, you know, look at Crosby in the second round if you want to go down that road. But uh, it is uh, about time for us to wrap this up, Chris. Uh, I think we're a little bit over time. Um, so... It's preseason uh, for us too. <laughs> yeah, we're just getting going. This is our this is our first one. We'll work out the time at uh, as we go. I don't think John's going to complain too much. Um, if he does, well, then he does. Not, we tried. Yeah, 
I, I cut us off at 50 minutes. So, uh, anyways, thanks everybody for the listen. Uh, we're going to hopefully be doing this every week. Uh, we are going to work on getting this thing down to 30 minutes. We'll do our best. Uh, but thanks for coming by and, uh, you'll hear from us again soon.